Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Faster Skier. This week, Devin and I break down a weekend of racing in Davos, Switzerland, which saw historic results from American women, an exciting sprint, and a solid day of distance racing. We've got a special Norwegian guest that Devin is going to introduce, and we'll be back in the next week with more material on this podcast for you with another special guest that uh, you'll have to wait to see who it is. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Mount Bachelor Nordic Center. Located outside beautiful Bend, Oregon, the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center has 56 kilometers of daily groomed Nordic trails. With a season that typically runs late November until the end of May, Mount Bachelor has one of the longest Nordic seasons in North America. The Nordic Center hosts a full rental fleet, various instructional classes for all ages and abilities, an on-site retail store, and the Cozy Nordic Cafe. So be sure to check out this winter wonderland this season. To learn more about tickets, passes, and resort amenities, go to mtbachelor.com. Yeah, what, what, what are we doing? Are, yeah, this, <laughs> this is the best yeah. part. This is what's good. <laughs> I don't know. So, so, this is, so what we're doing is we have a, a scrappy little podcast project, and you're our guest. So thank you for joining us. Wow, wow. Thanks. Thank you for nice. joining us. It is incredibly... Yeah, thanks, man. I'm honored. Um, this week, we have uh, Eirik Brandstall coming in from Bidestol in Norway. Eirik's a, uh, a good friend of mine, which is really fun to have him on here. He was one of the best sprinters in the world, top three in the Sprint Cup numerous seasons. He has 10 World Cup wins or right. more. Nine. Yeah, nine. I was gonna nine. get. See, see, we're already, we're already, we're already old men. You know, we like we're an old man. We should find a different guest with ten World Cup wins. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. You should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but, um, but that's the beauty of when we're getting older. You every year you just kind of add like more things to the Palmares, yeah, and then like yeah. it's so old that no one remembers. It's like, yeah, I think you won that race. Like you must have won something. Stockholm, you probably won like a couple times. So it's like, you know, it started adding. So nine World Cup wins. Uh, a stalwart of the Norwegian national team uh, on the sprint team for a number of years for over a decade and just an all around great guy. So it's awesome to have you here. We have Nat coming in from uh, LA shirt off, like just tanning that you better watch out, but you know what? You got to get your vitamin D recam when you're from Anchorage, Alaska. So I, uh, I, I've got sunscreen on. We, we literally just came from beach volleyball time. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm covered. Nice. So it's great to have, uh, we're all, we're all making, we're all making an effort. Ida and I are dads and it's like late. So, but we're going to try and tough this one out and Nat's on vacation in, in sunny California. And so he's making an effort too. So, so that's what we're doing. And Nat, you want to take it away from there? How's that for the introduction? That's what I got. Uh, I'll try if I can figure out how to unmute myself. Um, I, that sounds great. I think we should just start talking about, uh, Davos, Davos sprint. We had some pretty, pretty fun racing to watch i think like some crashes some unexpected stuff going on um what were your do we start with a qualifier with the women yeah i mean we do we can even kind of get right into the rounds but like for people in north america that were watching you're probably pretty stoked with some american results in the qualification i mean you had some you had some surprises for me in the americans like i was a bit surprised that julia kern couldn't couldn't translate and get into the top 30 there um because she she's also an athlete that's like turned things around and had been looking good. She looked good in little Hummer. So that was disappointing. The Canadians, uh, we'll get back to the Canadians, but like it's, we, we started with such a bang in Ruka. Like we were just like firing on all cylinders in Ruka. And then the train has just like come off the tracks and I don't know, it's down in the snow and now it's a lot of snow. So we can't even see the train anymore. I don't know what happened, but um, I do know what happened. The girls had a really tough sprint, which is tough, and they weren't nowhere close to making it into the heats. That, that's that's disappointing. That's what happens. But the American, the Rosie Brennan, I think the story of the whole sprint for me. Well, there's two stories. We're jumping around a bit. I'm sorry, but Maya Dahlquist. I need to get Eirik's perspective on like when things are working in sprints. You, it's like you can do no wrong. Like. I I've witnessed this a lot with, I mean, Klebo, it happens all the time, but like Olavig and Hadestad had some seasons like that where like, he looked like he's boxed in. It looks like, no, he's getting knocked out in the semis. And then I don't know, he's Moses and he like parts the seas. And all of a sudden you're like, how did he just do that? And then he's in the perfect position and ends up winning. And that's what Dahlquist was doing during the sprint. She came away with her third win in a row. That was crazy. And then Rosie Brennan, 
oh, fourth on the day, but like no question was she was going to, she was going to podium, no question. And that's a story I just, I can't get enough. It's crazy. Like, yeah. So those were big takeaways for me for the women's race. Can, can I, can I actually ask a question, which is so, you know, Rosie Brennan looked super strong leading over that final hill, like either was going to get like swallowed up by my Adolphus at the line or was going to just like completely ski away with it and, and drop the hammer on everyone in epic fashion. And then she, I don't know, you know, stuck a pole on her ski or between her legs or whatever, and is in the snow watching everyone ski by. My question is, is it fair to say you're not truly a world-class athlete until you've tripped yourself up when you're about to win a race? And then second question um, I, what are, what is like the closest experience to that, that each of you guys has had a, a personally, um, you know, about going from about to win to being like in your face, on your face in the snow, watching the race ski by you. I think you want to take that. I'll, I'll... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did this exact same thing as uh, Brennan uh, in my, I thought, I think it could have been my first win. I was, uh, almost advancing up to first place in the final stretch. So, um, and then maybe uh, it all fell apart. So um, I really felt uh, the feeling uh, Rosie had yesterday, I guess. I, I think she would have uh, made it. It looked like it. Really? What do you think? I, Devin? I was, I'm going to take the contrarian effort. She looked so good all day. She looked so good. It was a decisive move. But like my Adolquist's finish these days, every week is just so lethal. But I don't know. She but was, she was good... really tired. My yeah, looks really tired. So yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. I think uh, she was second going down the hill. She would have been third. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. You know, Davos, it's uh, yeah. hard to advance two places on, the, on yeah. that short. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You can do that uh, if you go hardcore uh, on the outside, like, able did yeah like, but uh who who has the balls to do that i don't know yeah i i never did that in davos i, no. I, I regret it when i look uh, when it <laughs> looks this easy but uh yeah. i always stuck in behind and uh yeah then it's hard to good to point advance. good point I, I i mean man that's that's bold i mean i i'm a i mean my sprinting was more like a shotgun like if you're hunting birds you might get it but if you're trying to hunt something bigger like good luck so like i had some great sprints in my day and winning qualifiers and stuff and winning races and i've also been like 80th so i don't know but uh regardless rosie brennan if she wasn't gonna win at worst she's second at worst but you know what you're yeah. right like she she looked so much better and so much fresher up that hill than everybody else and that's heartbreaking yeah. so you've lost the world yeah. cup I, I didn't know that where was that that you like that you that it all came crashing down in the final, like in the uh, finishing. Uh, Valdidentro. Oh, I oh yeah. I was on the team. And uh, yeah, it was uh, brutal. Uh, I won, won the prologue, the quarterfinal, the semifinal. And yeah, ended up uh, crashing big oh. time. Can I, ask <laughs> oh. Can I ask one yeah. more question about that? Which is, uh, you know, I, like I know, I feel like people in cross-country skiing are not in cross-country skiing for the money, but also like you get 15,000 Swiss francs, right? For a win and to watch that go away. I mean, how much of it is like about your ego and your pride and how much is it like, <laughs> God damn it. Like that was like half of my fucking mortgage payment for, you know, yeah, yeah. Here. at the time I had a student loan. So that would be, yeah, it was critical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to think about that. But like, in, but in the fallout. But regardless, like, re regardless for me, like, it's just that Rosie. I mean, speaking of like Didrik when we started chatting, like how like or Omar Birgen coming back from some tough years and then coming back to her form. The fact that Rosie is like, how old is Rosie? Thirty three. I think she's, she's thirty three. She's thirty three years old. She won Davos last year, but none of the Norwegians were there, if we remember, and none of the Swedes. So it was a weak field. Like she had great races last year to win back to back. It's awesome. But she shows up a year later with everybody there. And yeah, like likely could have won the sprint again in Davos. And, and regardless, like this is the craziest thing because like I've never been on the podium in Davos. I've been fourth in the sprint in Davos once. But 
she falls on the top of the hill with like what how many like 200 300 meters to go because the finishing straight's so short 300 meters to go she falls she falls on her knees and she still ends up fourth that that's bonkers I mean, if I'm an American coach or even American ski fan, I mean, I'm like, yeah, like that sucks. But also like, you know, this is like as close as we get to like a prelude to like Olympics, like we're at altitude. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, you know, Rosie looked great. Like, again, I said this last week, but like, you know, in 10 years, no one's going to remember who was fourth and who was first in Davos. And so it's just like, it's awesome to see these Americans this weekend, like just racing at that high of a level. And you can guarantee like, I feel pretty confident Rosie probably is not going to like, you know, pull plant like that in the finals in Beijing, if she makes it far after having this experience. Right. So. Yeah. You got to yeah. hope. I agree. That's, that's the main point here for sure. It's uh, it sucks uh, for her at the moment, but yeah, it gives her confidence going into the Olympics. It's uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say the same as a coach. Yeah. Yeah, I would too. I mean, like you got to, and, and it's easy to shake it off when you're just beasting, like every week you're putting forth such great races. So you come forth. Yeah. It's a little disappointing, but I mean, we'll get back to it, but you, you just got to shake it off. You have other races coming. You're in great shape. So you just got to ride that wave. But yeah, but I thought the women's sprint was exciting. I thought it was cool with like Lampich on the podium. Um, you know what I mean? I, I, I thought it was also cool in the final, like Tyrell, like last week, Wang, like she was, she was got her first podium last week and then back in the final this week. And I know she probably was a little disappointed to be fifth, but she shouldn't be again. Cause like Beijing is where this happens and she's taking a big step. And uh, the Norwegian sprint team, let's be honest, I think on the girls' side, like the Norwegian sprinters have been struggling big time. Mike and didn't even make the, didn't even make it into the heats that that's going to happen once every blue moon to everybody. I mean, it, like, Every top sprinter once in a while will have just like a raunch fest of a day and not make it in. That was Mikan's day. So I'm not worried about her for the championship necessarily, but, but like Norway needs, yeah. Norway needs more women sprinters to be fighting at the top. And it's, it's weird when they dominate everything else that they just haven't been able to solve that. I thought, I thought Ola Vigan Hadestad, like the assistant coach, your old teammate and like uh, total sprint boss before Klebo, probably the best sprinter that ever lived aside from Klebo, uh, like, uh, you know, I thought he'd be able to work some magic. And I think he, I think he's done, a, he's not, I think he's done an awesome job. You, you look at the, how the development of the, the Wang twins and, and the team in general, but I don't know if they, they're missing something at the top level there. And yeah, I don't know if we're going to see yeah. that. Yeah, the, I agree. I agree. And, uh, Mike, yeah, she's, she's struggling at the moment and she has been like, in Kusomo, she was uh, on the on the twentieth uh, digits, I guess, uh, yeah. on, and the same in uh, in Lillehammer, and now she couldn't make the the cut. So um, yeah, she's struggling with the prologue, but she does way better in the heat. So um, that's her go uh, problem at the moment. But um, yeah, it's uh, we need some new new girls coming up, and um, we've been waiting for uh, the wing twin sisters and uh yeah finally Tyrell made it and uh i think yeah going to the final uh in davos it's uh i think she will we can i think she has to carry the norwegian sprint team going into the olympics it's yeah. it's tough but uh yeah yeah and i mean it looks it's like that now yeah. Well, back-to-back -back finals, like we just talked about Rosie and stuff. Like if you're, if you're, if for, for Tyrell makes the final back-to-back -back weekends in skate sprint, you take that confidence and you bring that to the championship. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah that's good. So I, I, thought I, the women, I thought the women's competition was great. I mean, Jesse, I, I was, uh, you know, you know, I, I, like I, I looked over at Kristen and I'm like, well, Jesse's winning. Like if she's not winning, she's coming second. Like this sprint is so good for Jesse. Like, she's going to be a champ and it just didn't play out that way. And that that's kind of what's fun about Davos sometimes. Like we just said, like it can be predictable in a way that you have Dahlquist that won and she's won all races this year. But at the same time, you can talk about that. I think I've been, I've been dicked in Davos by being cut off and like all my speed lost on a corner. And like, just like, just a kind of like, like just a messy, you have a messy quarterfinal and like your day's over before you know it. Cause it's always turning. It's a two lap race and you have all those corners and, 
everyone's tired on the second lap too. So no one's acclimatized for altitude. It, it, there's, it's kind of funny that way. It is. It is. It's uh, it's a tough tough sprint. Uh, the second stretch there is uh, horrible uh, when you go a little too fast in in the in the in the beginning there. So uh, and everyone knows uh, how short uh, the finish stretch is. So if you're staying in behind, you risk it all going into the last turn. So uh, I've been. Uh, crashing in the snow several times in the last uh, turn there and uh, have some spectacular uh, watts on Eurosport from that uh, turn actually <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna offer an observation and a question and also just interject just so listeners are clear like Davos is a two-lap sprint like we had last weekend in Lohammer just if you're if you didn't watch it on TV um I just want to have a shout out to um like Slovenian women sprinters uh we had Orevka winning the the prologue which was just always nice to I mean she's been she's been competitive in sprints but I don't know how many like that's probably the first you know qual- qualifier that she's won and that, that was just sort of fun to see her in the mix and then I did just want to ask you guys about like you know how much of the results in Davos, like it really felt like the altitude has the potential to really just kind of scramble things around and, and it, you know, really for some people, like maybe it helps and some people it really hurts and just was curious for, you know, like quickly, like how much does that make a difference? And like, if you're not feeling it at altitude, like how much can that really set you back from like where you might be at sea level? Good question. I, I never found the answer on that, actually. Uh, I tried several strategies going into the altitude, uh, being acclimatized or going up um, like uh, two weeks before and uh, and going seven days before and going straight up the, the morning. And uh, I think uh, I couldn't feel uh, that much different um how about you Devin yeah it's hard because like for sprints I I would I would tend to agree and then also too with this altitude game it just becomes another it just becomes like another variable in your for your mental energy and I know that's not what people want to hear but that's that's my feeling like when you're winning if you're in great shape it's like you can do no harm it's like you yeah, yeah, I go up the morning of, go the week before, whatever. Like, you're not even thinking about it. You're yeah. just so confident. Your body's working with everything. You're not asking any questions of yourself. You're just kind of like executing. And if things aren't working, then it's like, oh, well, it was day five or like it was day seven. And, and you know, like physiologically like studies show that on day five at altitude, like it's like really hard. And then on day eight, it's better. And then, and then, you know, so you have get, you get all inside your own head. And, and then you start trying to like, tweak things and, and try and get cute and be like, okay, no, we need to find the perfect strategy. But really what's happening is like mentally you're, you're, you're searching for like a magic bullet essentially because you're not confident in your shape. So I, I've never done yeah. the Norwegian strategy that uh, I you talked about now, but I just for the listeners too. So Davos is, it's, it's not a plateau, but the, it's a, like a high Valley and, and a strategy you guys have done is there's a place called Klosters, which is, I think it's a thousand meters, 900 or thousand meters. And it's about 50 yeah. minute drive. It's just like right out of, you drive out of the Davos Valley, you drive over a pass called Wolfgang Pass, which is at 1600 meters. And then you, you lose 600 meters in like 10 minutes. And there's a cute town, Klosters. That's where the, the British Royal family has their Swiss vacations all the time. And you guys have tried that a number of times where sprinters would come and distance racers, but they would stay in clusters and then just, just kind of like shock the bod, like fool the body, drive up the morning of the race, do the race and then come right back down. And, you know, people have one have had, had podiums doing that strategy and people have podiums coming on the Sunday night and being there six days before the race, like most other people do. And they will have podiums too. So I agree with you. I, I think it's like the jury's still out on the world cup side of things. That said, if I'm at a championship at altitude, like the Olympics is <laughs> you got to prepare. You have to be acclimatized and you, you got to be like, it has to feel normal for you. And that means you have to be there at least 10 days before the race. Like I had a high altitude somewhere. I just, but, I just but the more, more, but the moral as, as athletes, 
for me is do as normal don't uh, mess with your head just go uh, as a normal race and then don't deal with the with the altitude i remember the first race i did in altitude everyone spoke so much about it you need to breathe on the st starting line you need to uh, go slowly in the beginning and i ended up doing my worst prologue ever i i, I was 10 seconds uh, behind uh, after 600 meters i guess <laughs> i was doing like really really slow and uh, yeah right out so after that i would just go hard as as, as normal yeah and that, that's what i mean you got it that's what i'm trying to say too like mentally we're cross-country skiers like we're not himalayan climbers here like we're not climbing like everest or like k2 without oxygen like the limit is 1800 meters which actually isn't that high like it's not actually that high even though you're going all out and stuff that said at the world cup agree with with Ida. try not to think about it just execute do your thing because everyone's in the same boat too people are just going from week to week at the championship though don't be an idiot prepare get get to the to the venue early if that's what it takes or do a pre-camp somewhere that you can go to the championship and just have that have that peace of mind so you don't even have to think about it you're like whatever i've been training at a similar altitude or higher for two weeks so this is no big deal I did my only observation would just be, I mean, I feel like in Davos every year, like you see pretty regularly, like, you know, the French skiers finishing really well, um, you know, both in the sprint and in the distance race, like Rosie Brandon, who grew up in Park City, Utah, like Swerbel now two years in a row, like she's from Colorado, which like there was a little discussion on the faster skier Slack channel about you know, kind of um, bullshit, unproven scientific ideas that, you know, maybe they had the nurture gene whatever but um I, you know i don't know it's just like i'm it, i wonder how much that sort of a, maybe it's, and maybe that's just about like a mental comfort thing but you know we don't have to dwell on that too much i mean i wonder maybe oh. move on to the no no we can move on we can move on to the men but like i want to come back to that because i had that like that was a big point i wanted to make maybe it is like straight up bullshit but i'm telling you the people from colorado or park city i mean rosie brandon park city you're over 2000 meters you're well over 2000 meters at like 22 2300 meters and then all the people that grew up in the rolling fork valley sammy hoffman swerble like you're at like 22 to like 2600 meters is where you grew up so quite frankly that of course has something to say physiologically Maybe it's like epigenetic something going on, but the re the reality is these people that I all mentioned at any middle altitude or altitude race, it, they're, it's, it's not a big deal for them. And maybe it's mental, but I think it's more than that. It's like you grew up your whole life skiing at like over 2,500 meters. Every, like when you're a jack, like when you're a kid, when you're like seven years old, just like messing around, like it's, you're at high altitude. So it just becomes totally normalized. So I think there is something to that. I think, we're going to come back to that in the distance races, but like, this is so sick, man. This is awesome for, for the American women. Uh, I, I think if Rosie can hold her form this year, I mean, the American women, I think you gotta, you gotta bet money that they're finally going to get that championship medal in the relay. They have three women that can just demo at altitude and have proven themselves and they just need one more. It's only 5k. I think it can happen this year. Yeah. Well, let's maybe let's move on to the men. I mean, my, my, um, I, I could just start off with just a quick observation about, you know, both Bolger, uh, Kevin Bolger and um, JC Schoonmaker missing the the rounds, you know, just sort of interesting to see that. Um, and then, you know, I was kind of looking at the, just at the times, like they were, you know, a second or two out and it's like, you know, it is a good reminder that like, you know, that's, that's one, one or one and a half or 2%, like you're off by that much. And it's just like, yep, you know, your day's over. Yeah, especially in Davos, and I can talk about that too, but like Davos is crazy short for men's sprint in time. This was like slow conditions, like in the prologue, like slow with like fresh fallen snow on glazy tracks. And it's like, oh, everyone's like, oh, it's really heavy and slow. It's 224. You win the, like, that is so short. So when you're a second or two seconds out in Davos on a sprint that's only 220 long, you actually got the doors blown off you. You know what I mean? Because like you're way out even though it doesn't sound like much, there's so many people in each second in Davos because of the nature of their sprint, but super disappointing. Cause there goes my theory, right? Cause JC grew up in, in Tahoe 
and that's at altitude two, and he couldn't convert. So, you know what, regardless, tough day for the American men, uh, the big names in American men sprinting, not a tough day for, for the workhorse. Uh, like the, like, I just love, it. he's just the blue collar, the blue collars, American Ben Ogden gets a great qualification done qualifies 13th. And, uh, I thought that was, that, that was great. And then made it all the way into the semifinals. Yeah. I got pushed around a bit in the semifinals and, and, uh, you know, yeah, you got, you got a real lesson in the semifinal about like what it means to play with the big boys, but to have an American in the semifinal again, like, let's take it for what it is that it was a great performance by, by Ogden. Um, one thing I will say about Ogden, I don't know, maybe you don't, you didn't, maybe I think you didn't even notice the American guy in the semi, but, but regardless, oh, I did, I did. You did? I just okay. lost you guys uh, for okay. some minutes. <laughs> okay. Sorry. No worries. But, uh, no worries. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I've, I've definitely seen the, the millennium guys yeah, uh, awesome. coming. It's, it's really cool. And uh, I saw Ogden making, making it to the same balance. It's awesome. Yeah. So that's just been fun. And there's new, like it's so when on a day, how cool is it now that it's American sprinting again, that you have like your two kind of like big names for, for skate sprints with Bolger and, and JC, they miss, they don't even qualify. And then Ogden takes them to the semifinal. Like, that's great. The only thing with Ogden, I'll say the guy is in like all lungs. Like you can tell he's just such a, has a high capacity if that guy could ever learn to ski a little better, like if he could just work on his technique and be smoother, then he'll be so lethal in all techniques, both distance and sprint. And he can be a real talent, but he's got to try and get his energy going in the right direction. And that was on full display in Davos in a full display in that semifinal. It's like, he's fit. He's good enough to be there. He deserves to be there, but he's just not skiing good enough technically. And it's like, it's going to be a hindrance on the men's side of things. Like you have to be more efficient with your energy or you're going to get pwned every time. So, but still fun to see him. He's young. He's got tons of time to figure that out. And like, look at the, look at Diggins, technique, how, how horrible that was like 10 years ago to where it is now. Terezi Yohug. Like if you go back and watch the 2007 world championships from Sapporo and you see how Terezi Yohug was skiing and you see how she skis now, it's like, you, you can do it. You can make big gains in your technique. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. We could talk about the rounds a little bit. Um, I mean, man, I that I just love why like the the Davos course, like it's the same one every year. It's formulaic, but like I I kind of love it. Like you know, it's like you never know what's gonna happen. You got that spicy corner going into like the home stretch. Um, I I wanted to talk a little bit about like I just thought sort of the techniques and the in the tactics that people were using around that corner were so interesting. And like, man, I thought Clivo was like and I feel like you guys have talked about this before on the podcast, but he is just like so efficient going around corners and just seems to manage to bring more energy coming out of them than anyone else. I also felt like you just saw some of those Norwegian dudes taking these like lines around that corner that were just like unreal. They would be, you know, if anyone left the tiniest amount of space on the inside, they would just be like finding their way in there. There's also that one round where I think it was Taugbol maybe put himself somewhere where there wasn't enough room but I just like that was a I thought that was a particularly interesting sort of element of the course and I don't know if you guys had any observations about what you saw there yesterday yeah I think I should talk to this because it is the Norwegians like I said like I, they, they are just better like that, that's the facts like the Norwegian sprinters are just better the French sprinters are great too but like as a team the Norwegians are just better but you're right if there's if there is like a, a split second opening around corners like that, you can bet your ass it's going to be a Norwegian that's going to take that space every time. And like, do you guys train for that, Iadik? Or is that just a, a, a product of racing in really competitive races since you were a kid? I, I, I thought that was Andy Newell coming if there was any space. <laughs> no, no, then he'd fall, but then he'd fall and break his shit everywhere and get knocked <laughs> out of the quarterfinal. That's what happens all the time with Andy Newell. <laughs> uh, uh, no, um, I don't know. Um, uh, you referred to Scar, I think, yeah, that's, um, uh, he was, um, doing a bad maneuver there. Uh, but the interesting thing is to see Clabo doing, uh, it looks so controlled and, uh, it's not, it looks effortless. Uh, and, uh, 
that's how it's supposed to look uh i think and um it's not it's not risky either it, it, it he barely comes into even though he takes uh, his space he, he never never or it's uh, i'm jinxing it but uh, he is never uh, almost fell in in a sprint race so um and that's a pretty he's done a lot of races lately and uh, yeah it's uh, worth men- mentioning and maybe we we are a strong team as Devin says and we have all these fights on on trainings and uh, for sure we are uh, it helps being a, a strong heat in uh, all your practices as well so um, yeah uh, other than that uh, it feels like uh, you mentioned the french guys i think they also have the same um, uh, mentality going into corners and uh, yeah i uh, had my uh, battles with the frenchmen so uh, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. say that the Norwegians are the the worst in the in the corners, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, we it, it's it's so important in in skate sprints uh, and um, taking all your opportunities when they arrive, and you you can't think if if you think you're all uh, already late, I think, so you need to like. Uh, do it on instinct and uh, that's probably what we aim for and uh, with a lot of training uh, make, make possible. And one other thing to build on that too, this is like a small advantage that I think Norway has, especially in sprints, is like living here and then raising kids in Norway and stuff. And you just see like what, because it's Sunday, right? Like, so Sunday in Norway, like every dog, grandma, grandpa, kid, like everybody, if there's snow, like it's just packed in the woods, like out skiing. But this like idea of like ski play, I mean, that's a direct translation from the Norwegian word for it. But like, they're, you're just like kids are playing around all the time on skis at kids ski practices. And that's cool. You see that a lot in, in the U S and Canada now too, which is good, I think, but like, it's like a, such a huge part is just like messing around with your friends on skis and you just get good. Like reps matter. And these kids are just used to skiing and screwing around, building jumps, like up and down a hill, going through courses, like pushing their buddies around, like hilarious stuff. And you see it every single day, no matter where you are in Norway on a Sunday, you'll see, you'll see this. And I think that translates into the diamond in the rough, the, the kid like the, that is just a filthy talent for that. Klebo, there's no one better on his skis ever in cross-country ski history than Klebo. And, and that's why he can do those moves. Like he sees it, like Eirik said, it's instinctual. Ustigov opens a small door by like, by taking like a quite an ideal line. Like Ustigov took a good line around that corner. No question. But he left an, just a minuscule amount for a small second. And all those like hours of ski play that Klebo has done his entire life. He's so calm and collected and he's, it's, it's, it's an instinct. It's almost like, yeah, like I said, like, it just happens. He, he takes the space, takes him on the inside. And then he's so lethal in the last stretch that it's, and he's taking so much more speed out. So, and I think you see that in, in hockey in Canada too. You know what I mean? Like if, if you look, if, if you want to go to like outdoor rinks around Canada and, and see kids playing hockey and seeing them mess around, skating backwards, pushing their buddies, like racing around, like, uh, you know, doing like relays around the, the nets from like goal line to goal line, that kind of stuff you get good. Like once in a while, you're just going to get some good, some good, uh, good, good ho- people on their skates and Canada's the best of hockey. So I think, I think that's, that was a big one, but I thought it was cool of Juve. Speaking of the French, Juve had a wicked, wicked last sprint finish. And he's had a great season this year so far, but so lethal in the finishing stretch and to beat, to beat, uh, Volnes on the line like that from where he was, that was super impressive. And Volnes, you know, he forgot to lunge kind of, and that's that where like his lunge was just horrendous, but I don't think he was expecting um, Juve to be coming that fast. So I thought, I thought the sprint was fun and Ustigov, we got to talk about Ustigov. Like he's back at a great level now. Like he's looking good. He's fast. It, you know, he's got that big, scary beard now too. So it's like, it's uh he means business. 
I, I love, I mean, I loved watching that. And I love that he made a move. I mean, I, I also was like, I wrote down in my notes, I was like, what are you doing if you're anyone except for Clybo or like Dogfist, like trying to lead into that last like home stretch? Cause it's just like, I, I you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, uh, you know, we're talking uh, last guy on the team in the Eastern Intercollegiate Ski Association's <laughs> worst team. But like, you know, I wouldn't want to be, you know, giving any of those guys a draft. But on the other hand, it's like, well, if, you know, you let those guys go from the front, like they're both like as fast as anyone else. So it's like, what do you do? And at least like Ustigov's like trying to make something happen. And, you know, like he looked, he looked good. He looked really good, man. He looked really, really good. He was beasting over the top. Like he did a good corner too. Claybo makes him look like he did a bad corner, but he did, he did not do a bad corner. Like Ustigov had a great corner, great finishing kick too. Like it was a great race. So, I mean, it's just hard. When you have a guy that's like, yeah, LeBron James out there, like it's tough. Ustigov is like, he, he won the first dude that's not Clybo award. Sadly. Yeah. But I thought it was a great sprint. I thought it was fun. Davos is always a fun sprint, brings back memories. And, and uh, it's like, it's yeah, when it's kind of snowy and foggy and short days, like I'm not going to lie. I don't miss being a World Cup racer anymore, but I do miss being in Davos before Christmas. I, I will say that. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Definitely. It's a good way to start uh, your Christmas Christmas holiday for sure. Yeah. I have, a, I have a really quick question. What is that word, Devin, in Norwegian ski play? Oh, it's just like, well, Eirik should say it. She like. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say it. We're going to take a little break here. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center, www.mtbachelor.com. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, you know, I th- I don't remember exactly what the weather looked like on Saturday, but certainly like seeing that, seeing the race today it was like glorious sunshine. Like it looked like classic day in the Alps. Great day for a distance race. No falling snow to mess up the wax. So, what were your what were your guys' take homes? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll we can just start with the women, um, even though the men raced first. But uh, we'll start with the women, and I, I think like I, I've said it a lot, but like man, I love I love women's racing right now. It's awesome. You've got this huge battle between like Teresa and, and Frida Carlson and Frida's like, I, she's like got such a great energy and she's not afraid to like, kind of like rib rib on Teresa a little bit, like kind of like play with her a little bit, like just in, in a fun loving way. Like she's pumped that she's, that she's want beat Teresa a couple weekends in a row. And she's not afraid to say that she thinks it's cool and it's fun. And Teresa, of course, like it's been tough when you haven't lost a 10K in over six years and then you lose not one, but two. I mean, back to back, of course, like, of course, that bothers like the super champ of the world. And um, but I thought so. I thought the race today had a lot of things that I was really excited about. I also was really excited to see Rosie because she had such a great sprint. and She was so good in Davos last year. Um, And getting into the women's race, like three Americans, man, in the top six, that's what's up. That is what's up. And like Swirable, I know she was on the podium last year in Davos, but again, like awesome race, like beautiful performance, real breakthrough. It is a world cup podium. You can't beat people that don't show up to race you. So like, it's not your fault. People don't show up. Like it's a, it's a podium. It counts, but, but to be sixth in a race like that today and how close she was and how well she was skiing, it and and look at how Swerble was doing in Ruka only a couple weeks ago, you know. Like this is this is just it was just such a great day to be an American ski fan. And Diggins, like I mean, what can you say? I mean, like no one goes, no one's better on the descent in the women's field than Diggins. And then of course is like Davos, which goes up a valley. It's the it's like the most boring course ever. It's like it's narrow it's it sucks like it's just, it sucks to watch on tv it kind of weird to race and but you come home so you essentially think you climb for like two and a half k or three k and then you kind of bomb home in 2k but it's not in a tuck like it's like gradual downhill the whole way and you see what diggins does in toe block almost every year which is kind of a similar style course she makes up so much time on that gradual downhill and then today like look at look what she did on the last lap on the coming down into the finish to secure second place beats Fried at the line it was awesome so i really wanted to actually talk about that cuz i um and i had a, i pulled up the splits cuz it was so remarkable to me like 
you watch if you watch the end of that race and like if you haven't watched it like just watch the like last i don't know five ten minutes of broadcast and like you know you see um i think you see frida come across the line first and she just you know she just crosses the line and she just kind of stands there like you know look she's looking great you know could be in a Matsu's commercial, you know, Yohag comes across the line. She, you know, still just looking pretty chill, like breathing a little more heavily. And then like Diggins, like is just like beast mode, like, like just slaying it into the finish, crosses the line, like explodes. You're like, should we be sending a doctor out there for her? And I don't know if you guys watch the feed, like, you know, the cameraman, I don't, it felt a little more invasive than usual this time where yeah. they're like bringing the camera, like, oh yeah, you, know, mess, you can see their like pores and stuff. And you're like, dude, like give him a little space. But like, you know, Diggins just like, you know, it's clear she left it out there and, you know, she, oh, beats, she beats Frida by like four or five seconds in that last, um, in that last, uh, you know, 2K. And I, I mean, if I'm Frida's coach, I'm kind of like, dude, what were you, what were you doing? Like, you know, just sort of strolling into the line there. If Diggins is like giving it every last ounce, I mean, it's awesome. That's the Diggins way, man. And that's the Teresa way. And that's usually the Frida way too. But like nobody, nobody goes, well, Teresa does and Frida, but like Diggins goes deep, man, every time. And like, yeah, what a performance. I, I don't know. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's cool to see. I, I love the racing spirit of uh, Jesse. She has uh, her heart uh, outside her suit, or how do you say it? Yeah, it's yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, it was so like uh, just unbelievable racing by, by her, and it, I mean it means a lot to to Teresa. I mean, again, like the Olympics is what matters to Teresa. That's all the thing. That's the only thing missing in her trophy case. And it's all pointed to the Olympics in Beijing for individual golds there. Um, that said, she's also incredibly competitive. Teresa's crazy competitive. And first race at altitude when you don't have many. I mean, and the Olympics are at altitude, like she wanted to make a statement. And the fact that she was able to do that in Davos and a course like that, because it's the course you think it would suit Teresa. She's won, but she's won everywhere. So you can't say anything about that. But like, but the course isn't really like a Teresa Yohag style course, honestly. And uh, she, she made a huge statement and I think you could really see it in the splits actually. So not, not on the, not in the data, but like they showed, they showed like, there's like, you go across a bridge, you're probably like 2k from the line or just under. And they showed all the girls coming through. So they showed Rosie, they showed Frida, they showed Jesse, they showed Teresa. Teresa was the only one at that split that didn't just look totally destroyed. And that's after three, three K of like pretty steady work. Like you have barely any, you have like no break. Essentially you, maybe you sat in a tuck for like 10 seconds once for three kilometers, which is not normal in the world cup. And every girl looks shattered at that split or like I, my eyes said shattered. They're not shattered, but they're, they're really labored. And their technique is like borderline falling apart. Teresa today at that split, it was no big deal. Like she looked great and she comes away with the win. The other one that looked really good actually Eirik, you probably noticed that too, but like, uh, what a, what a great race for Ingveld eighth. She hasn't raced in like two years, essentially. And then every week she's just getting better and better. Ingveld is the, is the queen of Davos. She's beat Teresa in Davos. Um, she's won in that, like, so she's won in Davos, uh, as well. So she's always good there, but I, she looked great today too. Technique was perfect. Um, her discipline with the, how she, how disciplined she was around the course with her energy She's able to hold her, her form the whole way through. She's getting, yeah, it was, it was a great race. It's fun, fun for the Norwegian women's team, fun for Ingveld. I don't know how hard it's been for her. Um, the, yeah. It's just, it's a pressure cooker. So it was really fun to see her ski so beautifully today. I agree. It's uh, good to see Ingveld back. It's, uh, it's been a long way. So uh, it was very good for her. And uh, yeah, that said, I think uh, Teresa is feeling the pressure. So this was really important for her to, as you said, Devin to get this victory and uh, and the interesting thing is that she I think if I remember right she's leading by 14 seconds after three kilometers and I guess that's the the time she wins in by by the 10k as well so um, the the opening is uh, kind of important and and uh, as you say it's her strongest part of the track going uh, uphill from from the stadium so um, yeah, she has to gain some uh, some seconds there compared to Diggins that 
going uh, downhill is very, very strong. Yeah, that was a, it was a great race. I thought Rosie, shout out to Rosie. What a fantastic race. It was, I was awesome. I mean, like, yeah, it, it, she put together, I, I would say she put together the weekend she put together last, last year, honestly, like she put together two beautiful performances. So it was, uh, yeah, super strong again, uh, just for the Canadians and stuff, like just a super tough day for the Canadians again, you know, like Sundrine Brown, you know, I read that she said she was like, she was happy with the race and thought she executed well, but, but I mean, 36th Sandrine's a great skater. Her technique looks good. She's done good training. She's in good shape. You can't be satisfied with 36. Like she's better than that. And it was just a disappointing day for, for Canada again. It was. And, and I know that there's strong things to come uh, for sure, but it's a, uh, yeah, the last two weekends have been tough on the Canadian women's team. I, I was just going to add one more uh, observation, which is uh we also had Americans also had Novi McCabe uh, in 28th. And so there are, you know, I think four American women in the top 30 in a distance race, which just is like super duper impressive. Um, I know Novi was in Alaska this summer, I think training with some of the APU folks. Um, and then, you know, it's like there were other American women that didn't even have great days in that race either. So, um, you know, just like the depth is pretty, pretty impressive to see. Um, and I don't know if there, I don't know if I had any, I, I guess I would just very quickly, because we touched on it last week, just also want to again, trash the, um, the television production. Like, you know, they oh. were showing splits for like a Norwegian skier. I think Svensson was like skiing with Swerble, who was a bit behind her and they were showing splits for the Norwegian and not for Swerble. And it's just like, you know, what are you guys doing? Like, uh, and then also, you know, I got, we got all these complaints by email about that, like ski and snowboard live service. So like Devin and Idek are probably available for FIS as consultants. If you guys want to like get your shit together and be able to televise a product that is not garbage because like people are training their hearts out and racing their hearts out and like, let us watch it. Oh yeah. It, like the production in Davos, it, I should actually like post this to like, or send this to you, to you, Nat, and like you can read it. One year I was so pissed. I don't, I've never told you this, Eric, but like the film production and the director every time in Davos in that distance race is just so bad every single year. And I got so pissed one year. Like I was like, I don't know, 23 or 24. I actually sent your Kapol, like who is like the fist race director at the time, like the, the head of the World Cup, like race, like programming. I sent him like a long email going like, what are you doing this like this is so bad like i'm watching a baffon race it's great i'm watching like alpine which is good and then in my sport this race is filmed like shit it's directed like shit it's a mess you can't follow what's going on and yeah like this was no this was this, this was exactly classic davos like a horribly produced event like like on tv it's a, they do a great, the organizers do an awesome job putting on the event. It's a great, awesome run event for the athlete, but the TV production is just a pile of hot garbage. It's, it's so bad. So I, I can't wait for the dramatic reading of that email on the, uh, on the next podcast. We'll definitely yeah, I should, I should pick that up. Yeah. So should we, so should we move on uh, to the men? I mean, yeah. someone talk about Simon Kruger. Maybe Attic, that's your that you guys are like, are you guys best buddies? Do you have any intel on what he's doing to beat the field by like an obscene? Oh, oh he's uh, just. I don't think uh, he feel the altitude, so he's he's racing like he's uh, at home skiing uh, at sea level. That's the difference, I guess. And uh, today was. He didn't. He wasn't uh, breathing when he crossed the finish line. He was uh, just uh, easy day at work, I guess. Yeah, it was incredible. And like, uh, you know, I think you you are, and I'm not just trying to like blow smoke up your ass, but like I'm serious. Technically, like for a technician, like you were always an athlete I looked up to and tried to like emulate. I never had technique getting close, but like you were always such a beautiful skier with such great technique and Kruger, I have to say today, especially like the images in this poor perform, like this poor production that I did see of him one skating. He, his one skate 
you know, it is so beautiful and all the angles are hitting like so perfectly and he's high tempo. He's a small guy. He's not the biggest guy. So he has to kind of use that as his, he's a capacity skier He's a high VO two max, not the biggest, strongest guy out there, but his one skate today, I thought like, I mean, he's the Olympic champion. He's got plenty of championship medals and stuff, but today in one skate, I mean, I, I just, you got to throw up your hands. I mean, you don't even have to see splits. You're like, this is, this is fantastic. One, oh, one, true, skate, true. one skate that's Canadian for what we as Americans call V1, correct? Just clarifying for a list. Double dance in Norwegian. And I think it's like yeah. where you pull every time, whatever that's called. That's in v- 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 D- double dance. Makes sense. Dance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, Devin, it's his speciality going the, the double dance, as I would say. Uh, but yeah, he. I think before before the Olympics in Pyeongchang, he he managed to be more stable in his uh, technique and uh, did a lot of strength exercises to stabilize his upper body. And uh, his uh, engine has always been there, but his uh, stability and uh, getting all the the forces in the in the right direction is uh, hasn't always been that good. But um, he he has done a good job on uh, making it more efficient and uh, yeah. Today was uh, performance. You could see that uh, uh, everything, uh, all his energy uh, made him go faster. So um, yeah, it was uh, a study to an example on how to ski double dance. Yeah, and then and then like we got to say, Clebo, like to be second in a 15k skate individual start, like no one, well, not no one, but it would definitely not be something that people would be expecting from him today. And the way he skied it, it was like Petter Nortug 2011, like so disciplined, keeping it under control on the climbs, skiing beautifully. So that's not Petter Nortug style, but like, but uh, like he's like being really, really good with his discipline up the hill. And then just smashing so hard on that downhill, the Jesse Diggins style, like the 2K down into the stadium every lap, like making up insane amounts of time. Yeah, a textbook race for him. I think, I mean, no question is his best distance skate race ever um, that I've ever seen because like the mass start wins he's had in, in, in distance, he just, yeah, you can just sit and play and kick, get people down in the finish. But to do it on your own in Davos on a weird course like that, Klebo is amazing. Ustigov wasn't even supposed to start, which is just bonkers, but someone got sick. So Ustigov got the late call up and I mean, he's in great shape. It's going to be fun. Like if he can keep up in this kind of shape, it's going to be really fun. Like it's going to be a fun championship uh, to have Russians like that. Bolshinov down on the results list, but we got to remember he's had like two teeth surgeries, like coming through the, in the, and they like the, in a, in a season in the fall. So he's had two operations in the fall to like sort out some teeth issues and they weren't just like go to the dentist operations. Like they were kind of involved. So, you know, he's, he's not, he's not at his best, but you know, he's going to be at the championship. Like Bolshinov has been the best distance skier in the world the last couple of years. So like he's, he's, he's going to be fine, but that was a bit, that was a bit weird to see. Um, And then I had this hope. I really had this hope that like the Norwegians men have chosen to not really focus on altitude uh preparation really and like i actually discussed this last year with uh Sambek when we had him on a norwegian physiologist and we we're like oh maybe this is the year that you get a little too cute and then you get to beijing and you don't have enough days at altitude and then you get smacked with it and their first chance to get smacked with it they put five guys in the top six and i'm snoring and i'm like why am i spending time watching any of this because this is just so goddamn boring um so you know what they you're you, they train better they ski better they're fitter it seems like it doesn't matter they're just better well, i was i was a bit uh surprised of the opening of the norwegians day they were uh pushing it hard in the beginning that's yeah. not the, the that's not the strategy that's the russian style to do it yeah. to go fast from the beginning but um yeah that's Definitely not uh, something that we've been training for. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, some of the guys wanted to try out uh, a different strategy. 
it works. What, what, what was your uh, opinion about that? Yeah, I totally agree. I'm glad you brought that up because like the only one that looked like they went out like kind of controlled was Clebo. Yeah. Till you saw him on that bridge camera, like just smashing like on the first lap even that he just like turned it on. But everyone else, I totally agree. Poland, Kruger, even Shude. Like Shude, the yeah. poor guy is like kind of like this forgotten little soldier out there. But like he's top six. He's skiing great. Uh, he's fighting for an Olympic spot. And is this going to be enough? Like, probably not. He needs to show more than this. But uh, they all raced super, super aggressively out of the start. And I agree. I think this is something I've never seen the Norwegian team do en masse ever in uh, in the 15K in Davos, ever. No. So that was it's, a good uh, and it's really surprising because, uh, yeah, from everything we know and, uh, the, yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. So uh, I was I was feeling sad for uh, Martin uh, Nienge, the Norwegian oh. finishing uh, 19. Yeah. He did a massive start, making up to Hulun's uh, back, and then he, he tried to try to stay there. It was a good good uh, nice try, but uh, yeah, I would have probably done the same. How about you, Devin? Yeah, yeah, I for sure would have done the same, but I would have been kicking myself when when all was said and done. Because, like, you you got to know that that, like... But I would have 100, 10 times out of 10, I would have done the same mistake. But um, I also would be sitting in the hotel now going, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm almost 30, or he's 29 or 30. Like, he knows better. Like, he should know better. But at, at the other thing that's hard to discuss, we discuss it too much, but, like, these spots in the Olympics are so hard to come by and like Niang on a podium in Lillehammer, it seems like, oh, well, then he's a shoe in. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Holland's a shoe in for the Olympics. Kruger's a shoe in for the Olympics on the distance side. And that's kind of it right now. Everson is kind of like a golden boy because he can, he's had a really rough start here to the season, but he's so solid and classic usually that like you almost think he's like, he can get, he can get one or two more chances than other people. But, um, but yeah, like, well, can you hear me? Wait, you're good. I'm good. Okay. So, but you know what I mean with that? Like so that, that, I, I was just kind of like that, that was a bit of a surprise for me. Um, and it's hard. It's just so hard. With my story, I lost my train of thought, but my point is on the Norwegian team, Nienga has makes tries, tries and dies, finishes 19th. And now like his Olympic, like his chance for the Olympics, just like, it's not dead, but I mean, like that does not help him. And then same thing, Scar we're in the sprint, the men's sprint, like Scar is a great skate sprinter. He's got tons of world cup wins. He's awesome. He has a falls, does a bad quarter funnel. And it's like, maybe his Olympic dreams done. And then Evan Nortug, we didn't even talk about that, but like Petter's brother comes, he was top 10 last week in Lillehammer. Shouldn't have been in Davos, but Larson gets sick. He gets the call up, makes it all the way to the final. Now he's fifth. Like, he's kind of like on the bubble maybe like, or at least his, his dream lives. Like the Norwegian team is just a really tough place to live. It's it's, you gotta be on all the time. I mean, 19th is a fucking national disgrace. Basically it's uh, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but when, when you have five guys, when you have five guys in the top six, like no one even cares. Like no one even notices that Niang is 19th. Cause it doesn't matter. Yeah. He notices though. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I was just going to, um, do a quick shout out. I mean, I, like, I feel like the French team, you know, especially yeah, awesome. today at altitude, yeah. like two guys in the top 10 with Magnificat and Lapalou, and then, uh, and then two other guys, I think in the top like 20 or 22. And like, uh, you know, they're making a pretty good case that their relay team could be, uh, you know, podium level in Beijing and just like nice yeah. to see some different and, and new names in there. I just, although I would say, I mean, I just, I feel like those French guys, it's like Davos every time. Like, they're always good. They're always good in Davos. It suits them well. The, the, the style of effort, the Davos, the, sorry, the French team are all like light skaters, really. <laughs> like the distance skiers. They're all like quite light little guys, capacity skiers, high VO2 max. And Davos, I can't say enough. It's like, it's what skiing used to be. It's old school, man. Like you have no steep hills. Like Colonia Stutz, like the steep hill in Davos. It's like, how long is that? I think at race pace, like 18 seconds. Like it's not, it's not long. Yeah around that I think. Yeah. yeah so so like it's all gradual but you have to work from the bottom to 3k so it's like maybe seven minutes eight minutes of like steady work 
uh, with no breaks whatsoever. So if you have a high VO2 max, uh, Davos is a great course for you. And, uh, and the French always deliver and, and, you know, like having two guys in the top 10 with, with this season they've had so far is actually like pretty good, but we got to remember, I think they've had like four or five guys in the top 10 before in Davos. Like they are so good in Davos usually. So, but, uh, that was yeah. cool to see them. And you always have the, the same snow conditions and it's yeah. kind of fast. So it, it brings yeah. out, uh, you need to be a good, good glider. And yeah, to have good technique and uh, and be able to to glide and find the the flow like like Kleber did today. He 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 was. I it would have been interesting to see the splits in the uphills, but I guess uh, like Kukulona Stutz, he would. I think he would lose uh, lose a lot of uh, time there, and then go fast all the other part parts of the track. So um, yeah, I yeah. Uh... I just want to tee you both up here, you know, Devin as a perennial Swede trasher and, and I like as a Norwegian Patriot, I'm sure like great opportunity to trash on the Swedish men again. Yeah. I'm going to do that. And, but I'm going to, you know what? I can't even, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to be a bit more subdued. I am so sad and I cannot believe I don't understand that after like a hundred years of more, the hundred years of international cross-country skiing, you always, always, always have Swedes that in distance skiing for men always are ready, like someone. And, you know, I think about this a lot today with how bad it went. I think what they're missing so deeply is they've never been in this situation before. The Swedish team has never been in a situation where they don't have a single mentor on the team, not one. You know what I mean? Like you think about like Vosberg, you have Gundesvan, then like you have Vosberg that goes to Gundesvan. Then you go like, then you have the Fredrickson, Ellison, per Ellison, Fredrickson, yeah. uh, Sodergren. Then you have Johan Olsen and then Helner is in there. And then you, so you have this, like, just like such succession that new guys are coming up and the stars are there. Like big stars are like showing them the way they're training they They believe now there's nothing, man. Like there's nobody there. It feels like we're oh, like full, we're full on at the like not you know someone in Sweden the King Gustav like time to call nine one one we're at that yeah moment. oh yeah no no it's crazy it's but it's crazy because look at how good the women are doing like they're they're great the women's team is amazing best sprint team in the world no question on the women's side uh, Frida Carlson Eva Anderson at their best amazingly good stable good uh, Kala of course like one of the best gears that ever live man or woman. Um, but for the men's side right now, they're missing a mentor and it's destroyed. There's no leadership. There's no athlete leadership in the team. And I feel so bad for young talents like Porima that like are coming into this team and there's no one for him to chase up there. And then, you know, like he's racing in the twenties and, you know, he's probably disappointed, but at the same time, it's not bad for a second year senior, but there's no one. I, it's 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 super super sad i and it and you know i joke about how skiing is boring and stuff for the men's side but i'm just not used to i mean my whole career for 16 years it was never it was never thought that you didn't have two swedes in the top 10 every world cup pretty much not every world cup but a lot and at the championship they'd be fighting for medals and and it's now this is a total crisis and and you know one more thing before idix weighs in on this it's not like their juniors are good like we have an 18 year old kid, Xavier McKeever. He was in Galavari for like the Swedish openers, which is like the bite of stolen. Like the, we talked about that earlier. He won three of three distant. He won all the, all the races for the Swedish junior openers, a kid that flew over from Canada. That's 18. And on the last day he won the 15 K skate by a minute and a half. So like the Swedish juniors are garbage. Like it, it, it's, 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 it's rotten from like all the way through on the men's side. I don't know. I don't know how you turn it around. I think. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, I think you got a point there. Like uh, you need uh, you need to have a strong leader in the team and uh, have something to look look up to. And uh, they're struggling for sure. And uh, yeah, as you said, you mentioned Porama. It's uh, he's a huge talent, and uh, he he moved to train with the. Yeah, Jonas Bu Burman, I guess, 
I heard rumors. So uh, yeah, he's put putting in uh, he's putting his heart into this. So uh, I think they have to <laughs> uh, rely on uh, him to. And you have some you had one Leo in twenty third there as well. Yeah, he's also a young guy. So uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, and that they have to rebuild it from scratch is just I never would have thought in my wildest dreams I would say the Swedish men are rebuilding their men's program from zero. Like never, I never would have guessed that ever. It's a, it's a, it's a crisis, no question. It sucks. It sucks for skiing internationally because we need the Swedes. It's awesome. They're awesome. I, I was yeah. just gonna add in. I mean, I, you know, I was the last serious sort of ski coverage I did was in Sochi and. Um, I remember quite vividly because I wrote a story about it. It was like nor the Norwegian, the Norwegian men at that point, 2014, eight years ago, like they were having a national crisis over distance racing. And that, you know, it was like the Swedes that were cleaning up in Sochi, at least sort of maybe that was like through the halfway point. Um, my memory is not totally like vivid on this, but, but it's like, it's just interesting how quickly, like the, I mean, qu quickly eight years, but I mean, it's, it, it's amazing how quickly that's kind of, reversed itself where now it's like sweden that's in full-on crisis mode so but, you, but like norwegian crisis mode like it, it was it was crisis for norway norway when i was on the podium of the overall world cup kind of thing because like how's that happen but you still had elder Roning winning races every year you still had sundi meddling in races or winning races petter was the best skier in the world like you still had tons of amazing good distance skiers those years you know but but like Sweden has no, they're not, they're not even close. I don't know. I feel bad for those young kids and I wish them the best because like they're good guys and they're talents. And I feel bad that they're in this terrible situation that they have to do this all on their own. They're gonna have to do it the Canadian way. I'm sorry. You have to just make it happen yourself. They're going to decommission the wax bus any, any day now. No, they're not going to because the Swedish women are so goddamn good. So they don't have to do that, but yeah. No, I think that we got to cut it there, but I was, uh, it was awesome to have Ida with us, man. Uh, thanks a lot for staying up late. We're dads. So like this is, we're going to pay for this tomorrow morning. Yeah. Lars is, has woken up here. So okay. my par my parents is struggling with, with him. Yeah. Okay. We'll let you do that. <laughs> Screaming. <laughs>